This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to Indian Religions here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, I have the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. Kusumita Peterson, uh, who is Professor Emerita of Religious Studies at St. Francis College. She's also chair uh, at the Interfaith Center of New York, uh, along with a variety of uh, positions that she holds. She's a very active uh, woman. Today, we're focusing on her brand new 2021 uh, Lexington book, The Philosophy of Sri Chinmoy, Love and Transformation. Uh, Kusumita, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Raj, for having me today. My pleasure. Now, first question, some may know exactly what your book about, what your book is about. Some may wonder, um, rather broad question, but Sri Chinmoy, who is the Sri Chinmoy figure that you're writing about? Um, Sri Chinmoy, uh, <clears throat> is my spiritual teacher. Um, He was born in Chittagong, East Bengal, now Bangladesh, in 1931. Um, And he passed away um, in 2007. Um, And uh, he, as a child, um, at age 12, uh, when both of his parents had passed away, went to become a resident of the Sri Aurobindo Ashram in Pondicherry, South uh, South India. And in 1964, he left um, Pondicherry and came to live in New York City. And he invariably, um, in answering questions, said that this was a a directive uh, from the divine within him. He would say his inner pilot, or the Supreme, um, called him to come to New, the West and specifically New York to share what he had realized through uh, years of very profound practice of meditation and yoga. So, um, and he wrote very, very extensively. He gave lectures. He answered hundreds, if not thousands of questions. He wrote thousands of poems. Um, and um, even wrote some plays and short stories. And uh, so my book is uh, only the first chapter of my book is biographical. And, um, and I forgot to say that after settling in New York in 1964, he lived here. Uh, I also live in New York uh, for the rest of his life, but traveled widely. So only the first chapter of my book is his biography, but if people would like to know, well, who is Sri Chinmoy, which was is your question, the um, the first chapter gives a kind of historical account, 
And then the rest of the book is, um, uh, is a summary of his thought. And, um, and we're using the word philosophy, not as, uh, as uh, specifically as it's used in, um, in these times as modern academic philosophy as practiced in universities, especially in the West, but um, in the ancient sense of the love of wisdom and search for the ultimate, um, as it was known in the Greco-Roman world. Um, and we could talk more about that. He, he certainly is a fascinating and prolific figure. It's actually astonishing the amount he was able to produce, um, the amount of poems, the amount of writings, uh, uh, hundreds or thousands of published pieces. So his his um, his output is voluminous, and um, what this book does is it distills um, what he has to say on various important. Topics. Do you want to say a word about the layout of the book or the name of the names of the subsequent chapters beyond the first chapter? Sure. Um, I um, should say I'm trained in um, philosophy and theology, um, and also in the, as a historian of religions. So um, I was uh, did my doctorate at Columbia in Buddhist studies. I was, you know, rigorously trained to work historically from primary sources. But I've always had an, a, a, a very profound interest in um, normative theological and philosophical questions and constructive work in philosophy and theology. So it, it, so, so it, it seemed to me very clear that the order of the topics should be as follows. And they are um, after the first, the biographical chapter, which is called From Shakpura to the World, the other the the subsequent chapters are God, the nature of God, creation and evolution, the soul's journey, which discusses reincarnation and the evolutionary process, knowledge and realization. It's the epistemological chapter, and um, and talks about the knowledge that's acquired through yoga, um, love. Sri Chinmoy always uh, described his path as the path of love, devotion, and surrender. And then um, finally, the final chapter is called Acceptance and Transformation. Um, A core theme in his work is acceptance of the world and the practice of spirituality and yoga as a means of transforming the world, not just the individual. Yeah, there are a number of um, themes of of his philosophy that uh, I might like to touch on in our conversation. But the first that comes to mind is, um, you know, I found myself, I teach online at a few different places, but in particular at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies. And, you know, the word God, I was saying in a tutorial, I think earlier this week, probably not the first time I've found myself saying this, I said, you know, very much in, in 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 our context, in my particular context, in North America in particular, when folks say God, they more often than not mean um, 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 uh, the God of the Hebrew Bible. They mean Yahweh. When someone in an Indic context says God, they can mean the Divine Mother. They can mean Vishnu. They can mean Brahman. You know, etc. 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 So, um, so tell us a bit about Sri Chinmoy's um, perspective or perception of of God. Well, uh, there's one supreme 
reality. And it's, as the Upanishads say, it's beyond speech and mind. It's beyond human or any ordinary human knowing. Um, This reality can assume different forms. Uh, There's no limit to the forms that it, he or she may assume. So um, I, uh, you have a problem in the English language, which is that God with a capital G means what I just said. And then there's uh, God with a small g, uh, which, of course, in Sanskrit or, or Indic languages, that would be Deva. And, um, and the supreme reality, Brahman or Bhagavan, uh, you know, is not, um, uh, wouldn't be referred to just as Deva. But correct me if I'm wrong, and um, I realize people are listening who may be far more versed in these matters than I am. But um, the um, Hindu tradition certainly makes a distinction between the supreme reality, uh, you know, in Rig Veda 10.129, it's called that one. And then it says the gods came later, you know, the devas came later after that. So, um, so, um, so, Sri Chinmoy would be very clear that the one supreme reality can be um, formless or and impersonal. It can be personal with a specific form that need not be a human-like form. Um, it, uh, let me see. Um, it's. Uh, I think I'll let me leave it at that for the moment. <laughs> um, and oh, sure. yeah. So just a moment. Uh, so cosmologically, um, and this the third chapter that's on creation speaks more of this. There is a transcendent dimension, um, and here we use spatial metaphors for ontology, which is a subject of great interest to me. Um, a kind of a vertical ontological dimension is the transcendent. Transcend just means to be beyond. Well, what does it mean beyond? Well, you know, that's a special metaphor, if you like. Or the universal um, divine is the cosmic, the horizontal dimension, if you wish. And and I have and I've I have mentioned a word in the book that um Sri Chinmoy himself certainly never uses, and that's panentheism. <laughs> So, um, and very, very um, simply put, uh, this means that the universe but is contained within the divine. The entire universe or manifested being is inside of inside of the divine nature, uh, which which is more than what is manifested or the creation. It exceeds it. So, um, and that's a, a, a very simple definition, but I think it's, it's needed to, to kind of locate his account. What does he have to say about the soul's journey? Chapter four. Um, he says that um, in the process of reincarnation, the soul goes, the soul exists in, the mineral world, the vegetable world, the animal world, and the human world. 
And through the process of reincarnation, it travels in um, from the forms of existence which are earlier in the you know planetary and biological evolution to the human state, and um, and that's a that's a traditional account which he affirms. Uh, it, but it's given an evolutionary um, direction that the soul doesn't go backwards. <laughs> Would you say that his uh, philosophy uh, is, by and large, Hindu or classical Hindu philosophy? Is he uh, is he uh, sort of an exegete? Is he an expounder of? Is he is is he giving voice to? Um, uh, to Hindu philosophy, or is he innovating in some way? Um, first of all, I wouldn't associate um, uh, him with uh, very much with classical Indian philosophy in the sense of darshana. Um, he uh, doesn't uh, give scholastic exegesis uh, with attention to debates in classical. Indian philosophy as it develops after the, let's say, epic period. Um, his his sources are, um, as as I state in the book, especially the Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita. Um, but um, there is a stream in modern Indian thought or Hinduism, and Hinduism is a contested term, as we all know. <laughs> no. So, that I and I borrow the term stream from contemporary Judaism. Um, I like it because it doesn't, it's less specific than tradition in the sense of lineage or parampara. So I would say it's a stream um, from Sri Ramakrishna, Swami Vivekananda, Sri Aurobindo, and the mother, and, and of course I should mention Sarada Devi, and um, and uh, Sri Chinmoy. And uh, so there are, there's a family resemblance. There's certain important points, central points in common. And um, so Sri Chinmoy is affirming and expressing this uh, tradition or stream. And um, uh, now I'm not sure I'm um, answering your question, Raj, but um he his um, exposition is uh, not speculative, and it's not doesn't enter into debates or controversies, um, almost never. He simply states the position um, with regard to the subject at hand, and almost half of I have um, um, was very important in the book to let Sri Chinmoy speak for himself. And I would venture that practically half of the book uh, is his his words. It's, uh, there's a great deal of quotation, and of the quotation from his words, about half of that is poetry. And um, so, um, so in style, it's not a style of um, uh, or an approach of academic philosophy or of scholastic um, philosophy, as you would find it in any tradition. Uh, which would be, as you said, exegetical. 
Uh, is this making sense? <laughs> yes, that's that's making sense. Um, uh, what what you're saying, which is apparent from one who reads the book or, or who knows Sri Chinmoy, is that um, he's not engaged in the 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 work of sort sort of um, scholarly quibbles or or, 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 or of, of of parsing out a point or or weighing in on which darshana had it right. No, I understand that entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, now zooming out, zooming out of that, um, the, uh, those philosophical quandaries, in terms of um, say world religion, uh, certainly it seems that his worldview and teachings land within, within an Indic worldview versus say an Abrahamic worldview in terms of moksha, karma, samsara, his particular mm-hmm. perspective on the divine. Yes, in terms of the. Um uh, affirmation of reincarnation, that there is a state of liberation, uh, which, uh, but, but in his, in Sri Chinmoy's thought, the goal of spiritual life is not liberation, just to exit from the uh, cycle of samsara. Um, and, uh, but, but uh, yes, in, in the respect you just said, it is, it is Indic, yes. Uh, there, yeah, you touched. Uh, just sorry. Yeah, there's a very interesting thing, however, that which is that there's an option within Judaism to believe in reincarnation. An option, indeed. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, an option that is uh, rarely um, <laughs> taken up. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, this, uh, you, you touched on a, a really interesting point about the goal of the cycles of rebirth, the goal of human life. Um, and it, let, me, let me phrase it this way. Sri Chinmoy was very much active in the world, and there seems to be a, a clear um, 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 uh, favoring for uh, world engagement in some sense. Uh, could you say a bit more about that? I think it's at the core of, of, his, um, of his philosophy. Um, He's asked, uh, he was once asked, uh, could you state your philosophy in one line? And, um, and he said, our philosophy is the acceptance of life for the transformation of life. And also for the manifestation of God's light here on earth at God's choice hour in God's own way. And um, so the acceptance of life is for the transformation of the world through the manifestation of God's divine qualities here referred to as God's light in the world. And, 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 and those who know uh, the teachings of Sri Aurobindo will see immediately that it's an affirmation of transformation as um, Sri Aurobindo expanded it at great length. So that it's not rejection of the world, but transformation of the world. And that doesn't uh, prioritize individual. Um, of course, we must each strive for our own illumination. But ultimately, my own illumination is not, or liberation, uh, those are two different things, Are is not the goal. Uh, if I can share a, a poem with you, this is one of my favorites. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, so, uh, 
So he says, if you really care for the world, then love the world, serve the world, become the world, and do not think of your personal salvation. And for me, there's always echoes of the Bodhisattva path in Mahayana Buddhism in that statement. And he also says, to love the world is to make the world perfect. The love of the heart is the way to world transformation. The world will be transformed through love. Could you say a little bit about his involvement with uh, the United Nations, his work there? Um, yes, thank you so much. Well, um, in 1970, he was um, actually invited by the then Secretary General Uthant, who was a Buddhist and himself practiced meditation seriously, to conduct uh, biweekly meditations for peace at United Nations. And, um, and a group of staff members formed at the United Nations. So we, we had our fifth, 50th anniversary as, as the pandemic was starting. <laughs> so we wanted to have a, a program. I've never worked myself directly for the UN, but I have been near the UN, you know, in the NGO, you know, non-governmental organization context a great deal. And um, to affirm the values uh, stated in the Charter of the United Nations, and to bring to the fore the spiritual dimensions of um, the mission of the United Nations as um, the world organization that is trying, in spite of all challenges, to create harmony um, and sustainability and unity in the world. Um, So, uh, (laughs) uh, and... Uh, through over the years, um, I, I wrote a whole essay on this particular subject that was published in the journal Cross Currents. So my my book does not actually refer to this in detail, but um, uh, you know I have written about it elsewhere. And um, over these years since 1970, you could, if you lived through this, as I have, that's how old I am, um, a, a, a growing acceptance. Um, and the peace meditation group played its part in that, but so did other uh, groups at the UN. In and 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 Uthad himself, uh, uh, and everyone knows that Doc Hammarskjöld, the second Secretary General, wrote a famous book of spiritual aphorisms called Markings about his inner life. So there has been through the years uh, an increasing interest in spirituality at the UN and meditation and spirituality. And um, uh, we could talk for a long time about this, but spirituality comes as a kind of, and the interfaith process also comes as a way of including different religious traditions without uh, becoming embroiled in the conflicts between traditions or, or from the standpoint of the UN getting in politically entangled, you know, um, with this religion, that religion, some other religion. So, so the interfaith process and the universal um, dimension of spirituality, meaning, again, very simply, the interior life, contemplative practice, something that's experiential, but also will be manifested, as we were saying, the outer world. Um, so that's that's a, a sketch of um, the meditations and their purpose. 
And the meditations at the UN would be in silence, complete silence, almost always. With maybe a very brief in musical interlude, um, um, but other programs um, with lectures or celebrating the cultures of different countries and so forth were a separate activity from the meditations, uh, the peace meditations themselves, which were silent meditation. Would you mind sharing with us um, what called you to Sri Shinmoy? What was it about him or his philosophy that um, that clearly appealed to you uh, to the point of writing this book, to the point of um, accept, accepting him as a teacher? Could you say a bit about that for the audience? Well, sure. And I, I've not written about this in the book, but thank you for asking. The book is not about my journey, but um, although it's the book I could write. <laughs> no. So... Um, I became interested in um, Buddhism and particularly in Zen uh, when I was still in high school. And I didn't take up any, my tradition of origin is actually the Episcopal Church of the USA. So uh, I didn't take up the practice of meditation um, and, and any, uh, until I had graduated from college. But as I had mentioned before, I, I majored in philosophy. I had read a bit about Buddhism. And also, I knew I wanted to study Buddhism, and I studied Japanese while I was in college. And I went to Japan for a year. And while I was in Japan in 1968-69, I began the practice of Zen under Nakagawaso and Roshi, a great Zen teacher of the 20th century. And I came back to New York, and I was continuing my Zen practice. And I have to say, Zen is an extremely profound path. Uh, and a path of great um, uh, genius, but it's not a path of love and devotion, or it was not at that time. Zen today has changed, <laughs> you know, um, and, um, uh, and and that's a whole other podcast that we could have. How how all the <laughs> how Zen and Buddhism have changed in the last fifty years after transmission to the West, but. I began to realize that there was a whole part of my spiritual nature that I was not harnessing or, or drawing on to make progress, and that was the side of the affections of love and devotion. And then I read uh, the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, and I read it slowly. It took some months, and when I had finished reading it, I was a different person. And um, and to be brief, I was seeking a teacher who would be in the body, but like Sri Ramakrishna. When I met Sri Chinmoy, I recognized that he was the teacher that I was seeking. And um, and Sri Chinmoy was once, and I was speaking about the stream, right? Uh, Sri Chinmoy was once asked, um, "What is the difference between your path and Sri Ramakrishna's path?" And he said, well, there really isn't any. <laughs> no. So, um, and I've tried to bring that out a bit in the book. Um, you could point to certain differences of emphasis and tone, but there are some, like, very essential things, of course, that are the same. So I have I've always... Uh, this is a very, very rarely do I speak about these things. It's very personal, but I have utmost love and adoration for Sri Ramakrishna and 
you know, um, and so that's how I came to my teacher. Thank you very much for being so candid and open and sharing about the the, the passion behind this project. You know, the the the, the what, what so kindled your your interest in this philosophy, um, and the, clearly the uh, Indian philosophy is intended for more than intellectual speculation. It's intended for transformation. It's intended for um, embodiment. So that's that's a, a beautiful. Um, uh, homage to your teacher and his uh, teachings. Um, is there currently a thriving following of Sri Chinmoy, or what did that? What does that currently look like? Um, well, um, our community, I would say, um, is thriving. Our our um, uh, programs are continuing. Um, he uh, has been. Um, out of the body for 14 years, what new to, new members are coming to our centers, to the path. And um, so uh, we continue our uh, musical concerts, art exhibits. Uh, one of the things that um, uh, we are known for is putting on athletic events, especially ultra running uh, events. And I, I published a, an essay about this in Hinduism Today, Sports and Spirituality, um, and um, you mentioned before um, the question, what, what does Sri Chinmoy bring that is new, you know, to the stream or tradition that precedes him? And I think um, one answer to that question is in the acceptance of the world and living in the world, self-transcendence is such a, um, uh, a core principle that, uh, as I mentioned, he described his path is a path of love, devotion, and surrender. And I have sometimes, when repeating that, added self-transcendence as the fourth <laughs> principle. Um, and so um, we have the uh, longest uh, foot race in the world. It's a certified athletic event. It's 3,100 miles. And I can't resist mentioning it because it's about to start on September 5th. And we have seven runners who are going to attempt that distance. Mm-hmm. one of whom is a woman and she's done it before <laughs> yeah so for for our audience say a bit about that that may not be readily apparent Sri Chinmoy not only was um, prolific in his production uh, of prose and poetry alike he also was quite involved in physical feats was he not he was an athlete his entire life so, um, and um, athletics was part of life on the Sri Aurobindo ashram. Um, and the athletic program was created by the mother, Mira Afasa, who had been a devoted sportswoman herself in her youth in France. And she played tennis for most of her life, as um, some of our listeners may know. And she hiked uh, in the Alps and, and so forth. And, and so um, brought to the ashram... Um, the director of the first, um, uh, the first director of the athletics program, and she, and this was right at the beginning of World War II, when she had given permission for children to live on the ashram because it was a war, you know, <laughs> and 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 so everything was exceptional. And then uh, the practices the changed, and children were welcomed at the ashram. And the school was now, um, you know, established with um, even with the lower grades. 
And so Sri Chinmoy, coming at the age of 12, entered into this athletic program, and he became a very outstanding track and field athlete. Um, he, he won the trophy as a fastest runner for 12 years. He was a decathlon champion. And um, so also ex- excelled at, um, uh, you know, <laughs> table tennis, volleyball. And, and so when he, and that's part of the integral yoga in which there is perfection of the body, acceptance of the physical and training, uh, cultivation of the body. But sports also um, uh, uh, develops concentration. Of course, it's a commonplace in our culture that sports builds character and teamwork. All of that we can recognize, that is fine. But it also develops concentration and uh, fearlessness and um, and is a kind of, um, and it's one of those things like, you know, the word ascesis in Greek, uh, we associate asceticism with denial, but ascesis means training. And it's the training of an athlete, the training of a, music, um, a musician, um, and the training of, in yoga, these things are closely allied as disciplines of um, disciplines that develop a person in different ways. He certainly was quite the Renaissance man, being spiritual, intellectual, artistic, athletic. That's uh, the uh, integrality, the acceptance of the different venues of, of life. Fascinating. Is there anything else about the book or Sri Shinmoy or the path that you wanted to share today before we close? Um, Take your time. Uh, well, um, I am. Um, I state at the end of the first chapter that it's not a book of comparison or a or a historical study. Uh, the book is quite is, is not that long. It's under uh, two hundred pages. If it was a historical study tracing all these themes and then coming up to the present and you know engaging in comparison with various figures and traditions in India and elsewhere it would double the book's length and actually make it much less useful, I believe. Uh, it's, 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 the book aspires to be um, a straightforward, unembroidered summary of Sri Chinmoy's thought. But as explained earlier, he didn't approach his um, ex- expression of his philosophy like an academic philosopher, he always considered poetry as his primary vocation. And he much preferred to express himself in poetry or at least in aphorisms. Many of his lectures are just like a a prose poem or a series of aphorisms. So as mentioned, he doesn't write in a scholastic style. And he never had any interest in writing a systematic theology as we find it by some great theologians, you know. And so it was my task as his disciple to find the uh, essential statements about the different themes, God, creation, evolution, the soul's journey, love, knowledge, um, and to document the the points that he's making over um some 40 years and 
lay them out in a philosophically coherent and sequential way. That was what I tried to do. I did not embroider anything or spin anything. Um, if I interjected, uh, you know, at any point, we might take this as meaning so-and-so, um, perhaps that's related to so-and-so. I tried to indicate by some turn of phrase that it's an interjection, you know. And um, But it's supposed to be a basic work that introduces Sri Chinmoy and his thought so that others can then push off from that to do more specialized treatments, comparative studies, whatever they would like to do, or more popular studies, which some people are interested in as well. So I, I hope that's helpful. Yes, yeah, certainly it reads as a distillation of his thought, organized as such. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as you say, uh, <laughs> one thought that comes to mind is good books are beginning is not endings. And so uh, perhaps there will be some ethnographic work on um, on a center in Toronto, perhaps. Perhaps there will be a comparison of Sri Chinmoy and various other um, uh, uh, teachers from India uh, contemporaneous with his work. Who knows? I have written a number of other essays that are much more specialized, um, that don't add up to a coherent book. And I'm hoping to bring those out myself in just a kind of motley collection of like, you know, I've written one on his art and creativity. I've written one, as I mentioned, on the United Nations. I've written one on sports. Um, And I actually just published in the Journal of Dharma Studies, uh, Sri Chinmoy's Philosophy of Nature. And that's online at the Journal of Dharma Studies. And that's his, um, he would um, refer to the transformation of the world as peace, the achievement of peace. God manifestation will um, give birth to peace as, and peace defined as an inclusive you know, state of harmony and flourishing of the whole, whole creation. So within that is the harmony of ourselves with nature, the flourishing of all beings in the natural world. And so I drew out, I, I, um, I'm, I'm very deeply committed to this, so I drew out from all of his writings the things that he had said about the um, uh, nature as um, he says that um, um, I, sh- I, um, I should know it by heart, but uh, that God, the, the trans, um, that nature is the universal divine. That nature is, is, is in fact part of God. And that the beauty of nature is, um, I know part of is not exact language. Um, the beauty of nature is a direct revelation of the divine. And the environmental ethics flows from that. So I just published that. So so I'm hoping in the next year or two to bring out the collection of the more specialized studies and hope that will be useful to people as well. But but this book is, is uh, as we've just said, it's more of sort of straightforward philosophical exposition. Well, we'll have to have you back on the podcast when the collection's out. Well, thank you kindly. And thank you for appearing today. Oh, well, thank you so much, Raj, for having me. It means a lot. Oh, you're very welcome. For those of you listening, we have been speaking with Kusumita Peterson on her brand new 2021 Lex- Lexington book, The Philosophy of Sri Chinmoy. Until uh, 
next time, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, keep reading, and keep contemplating um, the philosophy of the ancients. Take care.